everyone to Flyover Footy. Welcome to the show. It is the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for joining us. I've got Matt Baker here with me. Matt, how's it going, man? Great. It's a two-man show tonight. Looking forward to talking about St. Louis City. Looking forward to talking about the match we just saw, the one we're going up against. It's a busy week. Uh, there's The world of soccer in the United States has changed seismically this week that I can't wait to talk about, probably mm-hmm. in the wind down. But yeah, a lot going on. We're still a first-place team. Life's still good, Phil. It is good. I mean, I think it's funny because we are hitting that grind in the season. It's like midway through the season, right? And and we're like, you and I are parents. We're feeling that grind of summer meeting. You've got a parent out of town personally. So like we're both just feeling it tonight. And I want it makes me wonder like how the players are doing this 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 part of the season. Yeah, no matter if it's on the field, off the field, it's a it's a slog of a summer that we're really starting this week, I think. I, at least personally, I think we both feel like this week starts the, the grind of the summer. Mm-hmm. And the schedule of St. Louis City reflects that to a T. Six or five and a half games, six games in June. Uh, one of them is down, or two of them actually are down. And we're kind of just in the middle of it, trying to survive, trying to pave our way in this league. And... And it's it's interesting to see unfold, really. Yeah, and we're talking about our lives changing a little bit due to our kids and summer break and all that. And there was a little bit of change in our in our season flow this week as far as St. Louis City is concerned. I think the team went into this very uh, kindly with the right attitude, I think. Uh, the fact that they had to go all the way back to Dallas to play 40 minutes is, um, you know, it's a head-scratcher in some ways. You understand safety first, but... Um, all the things surrounding this game, I think we should touch on that just shortly and, and, and maybe take a, a couple, um, a, a few thoughts on the game before we move on to L.A. Galaxy. What were you thinking about that whole situation, Matt? It was a weird one. Yeah, it, I mean, it's you can't uh, you can't get around what happened uh, after the first 50 minutes, the, the lightning delay and, and what ended up needing to be pushed back. I think it was absolutely hilarious that. In the grand scheme of this week, with the news that Messi is joining Inter-Miami in MLS, hmm. the first game on the MLS season pass, Apple TV, available to fans after that news, was a 40-minute version of St. Louis City FC Dallas. It's kind of the perfect <laughs> intro to MLS yeah. in its weirdness and its quirks, in its its psychoness going on with the different nuances and things that happen. But from a from a perspective of how the match went it felt like a dud for the most part Mm. there was a lot of a lot of stops and starts the flow wasn't really there for either team for the most part 30 minutes went by without really much threatening Um, a lot of inconsistencies there was a lot of passes that just weren't connecting well on either side Um, the the possession was just not clean from a whole lot of players Uh, and it really started Phil to me with the fact that we ran out the exact same line we ended the game with after 50 minutes and this match ended up not using a single sub from St. Louis city. It might be the first time in MLS history that's happened. It's definitely something that I couldn't find record of ever happening because it's so bizarre in that area. And also I think some of the things that we need to touch on are the fact that two of our top players that we think of were on the bench for this match in Jabulu Blome and Kyle Hebert not even looking at guys like Jared Stroud, who was available and who's been in form well this year. But that was the first thing that caught my eye is that we ran out with the exact same lineup that included Johnny Nelson, that included Miggy Perez when we had healthy Blome and Hebert on the bench. I agree. And and I thought for sure, you know, I was interested to see what would happen in that, you know, 
all the rules considered, we hadn't had any subs at this point in the game. So we were clear to put, you know, five guys in throughout the rest of the 40 minutes, um, which is a decision in itself. It could have that could have been just as disgusting if we were talking about it had Carnell done that. Uh, But, you know, I thought the fact, as you guys mentioned multiple times in Fallout and before that Stroud not playing the game before that maybe they just sub him right in and let him go crazy um, because he's, you know, he's got less tired legs. Uh, but you're right. They went with the lineup that they had and stuck with it. And um, I don't know if I want to say that's a mistake. Um, I think we'll get into the flow of the game. But, you know, I do want to say, you know, since I'm typically the MLS uh, complainer um, in this group that, you know, if you are going to restart this game, then you get all these weird domino effects of like strange rules and like incidents of what you got to work around because of injuries and all those sort of things. It was a bit strange that we had all of our original players still healthy and that we just kind of were able to run that same lineup. But, you know, we saw Dallas kind of immediately sub two guys in that had the Paul Areola sub out because of injury in the last game, just such a weird situation. And it just is like, if you can avoid this situation ever in the future, just having gone through this now in our first season, I hope we it's not something we get used to or happens a lot because I didn't care for it. Yeah, and, and I thought it was an advantage to us having Pax and Pomichol and Sebastian Legette not available to yeah. their better players. Areola, the for same, that matter, yeah. And Ari, who had been subbed out, yeah. yeah. But, but from our perspective, the guys who ran out, like I say that I was surprised a little bit that we didn't sub in Blom and Hebert. But you have to look at it from Johnny Nelson had been a, a reliable starter. Bradley Carnell, after the match, called him a starter. So it's not like he's he's lost a position there inherently in that left back role. Miggy Perez, we've seen him take so many steps forward and have so much success leading into this that these aren't guys that you really say they don't have any business starting. It's not that at all. Mm. It's more the sense that we only have 40 minutes. This isn't a full 90-minute midweek match. And so do you want to run your absolute top tier, most in-form group of players from the previous matches. Because Carnell had talked about riding the hot hands and using those who have been in form recently. And that was, I figured if we weren't going to sub in Blome and Hebert, maybe even Stroud right from the get-go, that there was a possibility we'd go the entire match running this group. Because the flip side of that is you still need to let these guys get a good run of form and have some time to gel and mesh together on the field. You're not going to run guys out for 15 minutes mm. and then start start making subs. That's not going to let any kind of chemistry or or connections being made. So I, I once we ran these guys out, and I didn't have a, really a big issue with them being on the field, what I did have an issue with is the lack of success that they found and the, mm. the way that this reminded me of those first few games without Klaus. Interesting. So I want to come back to that in just a second. But some of my thoughts about this going in is I love the mentality as far as like that they were just going to have like a an all out 40 minutes, like just go crazy, press the heck out of Dallas. And, um, you know, I loved that mentality. You almost got this vibe that they played away. They had a draw for 60 minutes and they kind of had this feeling that they could just get out of there with a draw without trying too hard. Uh, I mean, of course, they would never say that. I'm not even sure they would admit to feeling that way, whether it's true or not. Um, But, you know, I would I would argue um, I guess I want to ask you two things. I want to ask you instead of just saying something. Carnell has multiple times said that he thought some of the best play they've had all season was the first half of this game. Do you remember him saying that a couple times and in this last? Okay, so that's phase one. Do you agree with that? And then second of all, um, I actually thought they attacked really well in the first 
part of the game? Like, how do you read those two things next to each other, whether they're true or not? Well, this game, this game came while we were still trying to find our footing without Klaus. Yeah. And, and so we had a couple games where there was a lack of success on that front. So I think defensively, it was a really good first half mm. and first 50 minutes or so. Into the second half, I remember more chances being created by Joachini and uh, by Indiana Vasilev. And, and I remember it kind of leaning to that where you could see a, a path towards shot creations and chances and success in the attacking third. Uh, I think it's being objectively a little generous to say it was one of the best performances overall. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the better performances at the time without Klaus, for sure. I, I like that. That's I think that's where I was kind of landing. I, I agree that they defensively looked good. Uh, but since I think we've kind of figured some things out, maybe that's arguable at some point in this episode. We can talk about that. Uh, but I did want to pose those questions to you. And I, I just want to say that this isn't the first. I guess it's reminding me of the City 2 game that was played against um, North Texas, ironically, um, is that City 2 looked incredible in the first half. They looked like a team and a half above um, yeah. North Texas, and they should have based on the personnel that was in that game. And I was excited, and I thought they were going to score a goal and then just like dominate the rest of the game. Well, North Texas snuck back, and, and there's this vibe where if you don't score when your opportunities are super good in soccer, in world soccer, I'm talking like PSG, Man U, like whoever you want to talk about, World Cup winners. Um, if you don't do that, you get too many chances and you miss them all. Like there's this vibe, this feeling that you're like, you're going to give up a silly goal later. That was true of the City 2 game. And I felt that way about this game. I thought they looked very good in the attack in the beginning. And then they gave up two silly goals, which are the kind of goals we give up typically. But I don't know what you thought about that. I, I thought that the chances that we created from Edu Leuven on some of his free kicks, I thought they were they were really well done. Um, I thought a lot of our chance creation came from the left side, from Johnny Nelson, who mm. led the team in key passes. And that was very reminiscent, like I said, of what we would do earlier in the season, both with and without Klaus. A lot of our attack ran through our wings as opposed to down through the midfield, which we've started to see recently with Indiana Vasilev and Leuven being able to link up with Joachini very successfully in the in the middle of the field. Yeah. Whereas this match, it had it was reminiscent, but without any success. There was never any any good final touches. We would get the ball into some dangerous positions. There's a couple times where we would draw a foul and get a good free kick location. But that final touch was never there. And I, I, I don't know if you can attribute it entirely to the ball being played from the wings and getting out of the rhythm that we had from the past few games. Hmm. But I, I note it was noticeable to me how little involvement Indiana Vasilev had in a good portion of the attack. Yeah, it, it felt like we were finally getting our legs under us. And the fact that no one was subbed, that like the point that you made about playing the same 11 that started this game and just finishing them out. Um, we, you know, it looked like we were in this 4-2-2-2 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we went back to two strikers with it looked like Celio and Joachini up top. And it looked like we lost a lot of chemistry, especially like what you just said about Vasilev being a main part of the central attack. Um, it, it felt like we went backwards a little bit to me. Yeah, our passing network kind of reflected that as well, mm. where you're seeing instead of Salio playing high, instead of seeing Vasilev and Joachini playing close together, you're seeing Vasilev playing more as a, a, a number eight in the field over near to where 
uh, our center backs were in our in near number six uh, role, in fact. Hmm. And you had you had more of uh, Edward Leuven playing high up and Salio and Joe Keeney playing closer together. There was just a little uh, nothing was really connecting too well amongst those players. And and so I I was very I think what what ended up happening to me is that in trying to build that we were making some individual mistakes where guys weren't being crisp with their passing. I noticed uh, Johnny Nelson, Miggy Perez, even Tomas Ostrak, and then Nico Joachini most egregiously, I think, had some really bad touches, whether it be the first touch off receiving a ball or in trying to play the ball through a defender and losing possession. It was or, kind of highlighted to me, though, by Nico Joachini in what ended up happening with that first goal. And a lot of missed runs or assumed runs that never happened. It seemed to happen yeah. several times in this game. So, again, like for me, it was more of a, a weird chemistry thing where we changed it up when things were working. But, I, I mean, the stats can reflect a lot of different ideas. I'm, I'm with you on everything you said. Uh, I want to move forward just a little bit. It looks like you have the goals that we could talk about. And I think that will lead us into our last kind of conversation about the last couple games, if, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, the hope is that there's not too much to take away from FC Dallas, yeah, right? Because totally. of how, how it ended up being. But the first goal highlighted by the fact that it was an individual mistake on Nico Joachini's part, receiving the ball from Lucas Bartlett in the middle of the field, it was just a hard first touch. And he was he had his back to the attack. He was trying to receive the ball, and it looked like he was trying to play it off to an Edu Leuven who is in the vicinity. But what ended up happening is that the ball ended up being played, I believe, to Sarrio in FC Dallas who had some quick movement to Obreon in the mid, letting him play long through Jesus Ferreira that beat our center backs. It was a combination of the ball being turned over in the midfield and our, our back line being high up so that they were uh, susceptible to a counterattack. And when the counterattack came, it was to a very, very uh, high-caliber player in Jesus Ferreira, a very well-played through ball in transition that just beat Parker and Bartlett and when you have a guy like Jesus Ferreira able to receive the ball like that so quickly from a counter, there's just not a whole lot that a guy like Roman Berkey is going to be able to do. I credit Dallas a lot with this. They took a mistake, and in a professional top-tier group, a mistake can be turned into a goal, and I think they did it about as efficiently as a team could be asked to do. You yeah. know, I think we've spent a lot of time making fun of Obreon, like excited for him to be in this game, and Boy, he used that maybe like because that was a great pass to Ferreira. Such a good pass. Yeah, it, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, but on that one, to me, credit to FC Dallas and a small mistake from Joe Akini. Definitely not his worst mistake or the worst mistake of the day per se, but it was uh, paid for uh, badly. Um, we got another goal to talk about, though, that I think is really going to get us going. Yeah, the second goal was a little more annoying to me, which I think I'm different than a lot of the St. Louis fan base because I, from the comments and the the Facebook groups and everything, Nico Joachini got a lot of um, a lot of hate for the goal, a lot of mm. comments about the turnover that he had, and I, I think that was just he wasn't the only one making that mistake in this game. So to pin it on him, kind of downplays what you just said, the Dallas and the Obreon pass and the the individual skill they had, and our backline getting beat. But the second goal to me where it was a goal kick, some 50-50s happened, one by Dallas, and Jesus Ferreira got the ball in the middle of the field. When Jesus Ferreira got the ball, if you watch, and this is my opinion, I think, but I I just want to put that out there. When Jesus Ferreira got the ball in the middle of the field, if you notice where Johnny Nelson is on our left-hand side, their right-hand side, he's a little higher up, which is typical of Johnny Nelson, and there's no problem with that positioning because that's typically where he plays. But when he's tracking back from Jesus Ferreira getting the ball, it's at a, a jog, I think. I, I'm not, I'm not too, 
I don't have a problem saying that it was a jog. Hmm. And the problem is that I think Ferreira was able to find Jesus Jimenez on the right-hand side, and it seemed like Johnny Nelson was pretty of the mind that this Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett have this, or Parker was next to him. Parker has Jimenez. And what Jimenez ended up doing, which is a very high-caliber move, he created space a little further out to the right. So he received the ball. He kind of kind of trailed out to the right a little bit, creating space for him to center the ball and cross it into the box. And when he crossed it into the box, it just cleared every single player in that box. That included Miggy Perez, Lucas Bartlett, Jake Nerwinski, all collapsing in the center of the box. And the ball just found its way all the way through to Marco Farfan, who at that point had a, a free shot to goal and scored. I don't pin the entire goal on Johnny Nelson. I'm just annoyed by the fact that there wasn't more urgency when Jesus Freire received the ball in at least trying to close space or provide more than just Tim Parker's threat on the outside on Jesus Jimenez. Yeah, and I'm curious about you know what Bradley Carnell would say in that situation because I will defend um, the jog thing dead on. I don't think anyone could characterize that as anything but a jog back. Uh, but I think Nelson made an intentional decision to, you know, he kind of counted the attackers and he counted the defenders, and there was at least one for one defenders to attackers at that moment. Um, and they just made some good plays and got around some guys. You know, the main defender was uh, Parker, and it's like, yeah. Parker's been such a shutdown defender. If I was a left back, I'd consider letting him shut that down in order to be better placed for the counterattack. And so, I don't know what Bradley Carnell would want in that situation. He's a fullback, so I imagine he would have had a direct, a exact preference in that situation. I would love to hear what it was. Um, but you know, the good thing about Nelson, and this is what I want to close our, our past game decision uh, conversations with this: that you know, I love that Nelson's attack was so much more prevalent in this game, and I've been missing it. I've really been missing it in the games that Hebert played as a true left back, not the previous game. Uh, but the two before that. And, um, you know, I think it hurt us. It wasn't terrible. I think the plus defending that we get from Hebert makes it worthwhile. And it worked twice in a row. So who am I to complain in that situation? But I do miss, you know, there were many crosses in that were dangerous. And maybe they weren't finished. When we get Klaus back, we maybe will want to see a lot more of Nelson because we'll want those to be um, opportunities used for Klaus. Um, but yeah. I've missed that. And... My favorite thing to close with this, in my on my side at least, is that I really love that Carnell took what Hebert was doing and then kind of, not all the time, but at times we looked like we had a three back where Hebert was either a left back or a left-sided center back and then Celio would serve as a wing back at times. I thought that was the absolute perfect wrinkle because then we got lots of wide attack from Celio he could cross it in or he could use his nimble footedness um, on, on the flank to good effect, in my opinion. Um, and so we weren't losing much attack, but we saw that Hebert is perfectly capable of stopping counters, one-on-one -on -one defending, um, playing as a true center back, heading the ball out. Like it was just, to me, it was a perfect mix. And I hope we see a lot more of that. If we're not going to see Johnny Nelson as a true left back going forward, those are just things I really loved about the mix of the two, the two, um, the two looks there. Yeah. And, and to me, the big takeaway is that this didn't work just like our first few matches after Klaus went down, didn't work. So the call out to maybe this yeah. is still an answer when Klaus returns spot on. And it very well could be. I just don't think that, uh, this is the answer that we need to go back to. And whether that means Kyle Hebert slots back in at the left back or left center back role, 
or not. I think that if you look at the passing network before FC Dallas, back to Houston especially, Celio Pompeu did play really wide left a lot of the game. And he was complimenting Jake Nerwinski's push up on the right-hand side. So while it may not have truly been wingbacks in, in practice and in reality, it was playing out like that because it was also allowing Indiana Vasilev and Nico Joachini to play really well off of each other in the center of the field really well and create space that spread out the field from Blome to Leuven to Vasilev and Joachini. And that was really exciting to see. And we seem to find a lot of success with that. So as we pivot and transition to LA Galaxy, I look for us to get more back in that mindset. Absolutely. You're listening to Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. That one went long, but it's because we got an extra half of a game, game almost this week. And there were a lot of conversations that we could have that weren't quite covered on, on Fallout. You guys do an awesome job breaking down every game in Flyover Fallout that comes out every Monday. I always look forward to listening to that one. Um, and so we were able to build on that a little bit here. We spent a little extra time, but that works well because we also haven't had a lot of news come out this week. But we will cover now, Matt, if you can lead us off with the news of the week. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get a press conference this week yet. The shifting schedule because of the Dallas game, we're doing that on Friday and so we'll have some news. Check our social medias, fly over, myself, Phil, Santi. We'll have some more updates on uh, the players going into the match this Sunday. But Klaus, we've last heard he's week to week at this point. He had a setback last week in his recovery. So he's no news yet on Klaus. He has not rejoined team activities. We'll, we'll see what he can do after the weekend, I think. He, if he's not ruled out, then he's going to be extremely questionable against the Galaxy. Rasmus Alm, on the other hand, if you remember, did rejoin the team uh, for the match last week against Houston. I'm expecting him to be fully available against the Galaxy. He was only not available for Dallas because he wasn't on the original roster. Nothing to read into there. Hmm. And then Caden Glover, the other player who we had looked at who had a rib injury that prevented him from going out on youth national team duty, returned to play with City 2 on Monday, and he should be good to go, although we, it, it's debatable whether he'll make the jump up to City, but Glover's health is recovered. And that should be it as far as health and injury concerns. Minus Joachim Nilsson, obviously, still hasn't uh, partaken in team activities. No update on his timeline. And other than that, it seems like Klaus should be our, our players unavailable against the Galaxy. So it should be a pretty healthy group going into that. Phil, I'll say really quick before we go into the Galaxy that if you're listening to us on the five, Big 550 KTRS, make sure to check out our full podcast. After we talk through our preview on the LA Galaxy, we're going to go pretty deep on the big MLS news of the week. Lionel Messi uh, being a new addition to the Inter-Miami roster and joining MLS long awaited. We're also going to take a deeper look into uh, the FC Dallas match a little bit, along with some exciting news on the national team front. Jwilu Blome received a call up to the South African national team. And then we'll answer some Q&As on the back half of our podcast. So check that out if you can. Yeah, the Klaus, I mean, well said. I hope you guys can check that out. Uh, but just, the, you know, the Klaus thing ends up just like it's a, feeling like a weekly letdown. Every single week we're hearing yeah. that it's going to be longer and longer and longer. And I just want to say that, like, I was okay with Klaus not playing this game against the Galaxy. I was hoping he'd get some time so that he could play extensively against Nashville. And the fact that he may or may not get to play against Nashville and losing Blome against Nashville, one are going to be one of the toughest teams for City uh, this season. I'm really sad about yeah. that. And, and we'll dig into that in the next episode. I just wanted to throw that in there that that those were both kind of hopes of mine against Nashville. And that, that's not going to happen. It looks like. 
Yeah, the, the one thing that I'll say as we lead into the Galaxy match is the Galaxy are far from healthy themselves, and we're going to touch on that monumental injury that occurred this week for the LA Galaxy in the U.S. Open Cup. But let's set the stage, Phil, on where these two teams come into this. St. Louis is still sitting first place in the West with 28 points. Uh, third place, LAFC, has two games in hand on us, while we have two games in hand on second place, Seattle. St. Louis has a 9-5-1 record, 9 wins, 5 losses, 1 draw, with 32 goals scored and a plus 16 goal differential. St. Louis is also 6-2 at home, 6 wins, 2 losses. St. Louis is tied for 2nd in goals, and we lead the league in goal differential. So there's still a lot of positives that St. Louis takes into this match. But on the other side, the LA Galaxy sit last in the West, 14th place with only 12 points on the season. They've had a rough go at it. They have a 3-9-3 record, 3 wins, 9 losses, 3 draws, only 13 goals scored with a minus 13 goal differential. They're a 1-5-2 team away, meaning they've got only one win, five losses away. Their most recent match was this midweek match. They played RSL, and they lost 3-2 in the U.S. Open Cup, so they're out of that tournament. And the biggest news of the week that we're going to dive into a little bit further is they've lost Chicharito for a, a period of time. He had an MRI this week after suffering a non-contact injury to his right knee. So unfortunately, devastating loss for the LA Galaxy, and it doesn't seem like he'll be available against St. Louis. Now, offensively, though, even with Chicharito, who missed the first five games of the season with a hamstring injury, the LA Galaxy have only been able to score more than two goals one time. Now, that was their last MLS match against RSL on May 31st, where they scored three goals. But they've been a team who's been struggling to find net despite their creative and exciting midfield that's been at play. They're, the other fact I have, Phil, is that they've scored their first away goal since week two in that 531 match against RSL. So they've had not mm. just an issue scoring goals, but they've had a massive issue scoring goals on the road. That's interesting. And yeah, losing Chicharito, I'm curious how that's going to be a problem. I think they've been playing, uh, is it Jovovic is a really talented striker. So I'm curious if this is going to hurt them extensively or whether he'll slot right in. Some people like him better than Chicharito. I've heard it said. I'm not saying it's true. So um, I'm interested in that. But, you know, as far as some of the things you've listed here, I imagine you have more to back this up. The Galaxy is like, the kind of team that city wants to play because yeah not only are they doing badly they possess the ball they're looking to play through the middle it's just like all the things that city tends to do well against right it's a game that i i i don't like to use the word trap a lot but it's one of those where we should be beating the la galaxy stylistically it matches up well for us uh, Personnel-wise, it's it's looking good from the fact that they don't have Chicharito and they're operating without him, who they've had, trying to round into form in the past few games. They're coming on the road. They're a bad road team. We're a fantastic home team. Team the, the, the form of the teams, the last three MLS matches, St. Louis is 2-1. and one. The last three MLS matches for LA Galaxy, they're 1-2. and two. The, We're scoring a lot of goals in MLS play. They're not. Hmm. Uh, you know, stylistically, the LA Galaxy are the highest team in passes per sequence by far. And they're also in the top half of direct speed. So they play the ball in a polar opposite style of St. Louis. They're sitting on the opposite end of the spectrum where St. Louis is very direct. They have very few passes per sequence, but the LA galaxy like to possess. They work the ball up through their midfield and on their wings. And they just have a lot of creativity in that midfield, which we're going to touch on in depth because it is one of the best midfields in the league that we have to talk about. But there's a lot of stylistic nuances that go into this. 
Yeah, and I would say the nuance is, is one thing that comes to mind when it comes to their midfield being so talented. I've seen definitely uh, a lot of stats being uh, posted about uh, Puj, his talent, all the creative um, ability he brings to this team and all the stats he's piling up for the Galaxy and how they haven't led to wins regularly. Yeah. And it's just like mind-blowing how someone can be so good and have it just become so unproductive. I don't know if we, we see that all that often in MLS. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Ricky Pouge is a, a unique talent. You know, he's a new designated player. He, he signed a DP contract here this year. And from all all intents, he deserves it. He's a very yeah. individually talented player. He looks they the just part, have, too. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean, he's exciting to watch. He just hasn't been able to contribute to the overall success. He's he's had a lot of shot creating actions. He's had a lot of key passes and individual really, really high level plays. But he just hasn't had anybody to finish. And with Chicharito, I don't want to make it seem like without Chicharito, they're a vastly different team. Chicharito this year only has one goal and one assist. Hmm. He missed the Galaxies, like I said, first five games while recovering from a hamstring injury. They're one, two, and three without Chicharito, but they were only two, seven, and oh with him. They only had two wins and they had seven losses with Chicharito. So this team has been pretty poor in form with and without. And I mean, we can't not address the St. Louis elephant in that room, which is they've been going through all kinds of turnover hmm. and fan strife this entire season. They've had a boycott from their supporter groups with the the call for Chris Klein's head and calling for him to be removed, which he has been. So the Galaxy are going through all kinds of transitions in their front office, in in their fan base, and their players are having to deal with all this and, and not performing on the field. This is one of the last matches that the Galaxy have, if not the last match, before they return home for their first home match since Chris Klein has been fired and since their, their supporter groups are returning to the, the stands, which they had boycotted. So I think the Galaxy, to me, are a team that's trying to, to run out the clock, so to speak, on these away matches until mm. they can go back home. That actually kind of seems to ring true to me. Do you think they'll get, not that they'll get a new coach bump because there's no new coach, but do you think there will be any kind of bump? I mean, we saw it against the fire. That's the only reason I kind of bring that up. I think they'll see a bump at home because mm-hmm. of, of what their fans will give them. I don't doubt that it will be a completely new vibe, new atmosphere from what they've been dealing with at home, knowing that it's been at at best like 30% of their supporters have been in the stands, those mm. who have either crossed the boycott line or have not been a part of that. But the noise, the atmosphere, the support, we know what that's like. Every, every fan in St. Louis who has been to City Park knows – the, the backing that fans and a, and a loud atmosphere can give to your team. Carnell and the players have spoken to the impact that the players have had. We know that it's impacted communications in City Park between uh, the oppos- opposing players. So to have that in L.A., even if it's not to the, the magnification of it in St. Louis right now, it's a whole different vibe and atmosphere they're going to go back into. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see a bump at home, but again, playing a little bit to our favor on the road. Absolutely. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Matt, uh, we've got a lot more we can kind of cover here. It looks like you got a lot of stats that you can kind of spit out here. Uh, what would you like to do next? I'll go into a little bit of their style, a little more in depth, because I mentioned the passes per sequence, the directness that they have. They like to possess. They have averaging about 56% possession where St. Louis averages 45. So you can kind of see how that would play out. Both teams are going to try to play their own way and see which one can win out. 
LA, LA Galaxy also control possession really well through the midfield. If you look at percentages of the field, if you break it down into zones, the LA Galaxy have one of the largest possessing zones of the entire field in the league. Mm. They possess the ball in their end through midfield into the opposition half, which is rare in this league that you can accomplish that, and specifically down the right wing. It's interesting that they seed control in their defensive right. So if if Johnny Nelson or if Salio Pompeu can make uh, make space down our left-hand side, that's a potential opportunity for us to to create space that they allow. But it's interesting how much they like to possess the ball into the opposition half. To me, it's ripe for it's ripe for St. Louis to try to meet that head on and block them. So two things could happen to me. Uh, because St. Louis is the best pressing team. We talked about PPDA last week, the passes per defensive action, the lower the number, meaning the lower number of passes that a team makes before you make a defensive move on them, the higher your press is. And St. Louis has the lowest, the Galaxy are among the highest. And so if St. Louis can meet that, that Galaxy possession more in their zone and in their end, as opposed to letting them move the ball across the field, that's one way that St. Louis can find success is to keep the Galaxy back from doing what they like to do. The other thing to me is that if we do allow the Galaxy and if they do penetrate through to their attacking third in our defensive zone, counterattacks are going to be huge. So knowing that they slowly and methodically move themselves up yeah. as opposed to quickly from us, if we can get them into that position and be smart with our push points because the team, St. Louis City is very... Uh, mindful of when they they press. It's not an all-out press, but they target it very specifically. So Nico Joachini initiating that press, Celio Pompeo initiating that press, it's going to be vastly important to know where we're going to try and head off the ball. Because if if we do it in our defensive third, we're going to have to rely on some quick counters from Joachini, Vasilev, Pompeo, and, and probably our wingers. If we can get it in their defensive third, then the game kind of opens up a little bit more to what St. Louis is used to. There's been a lot of talk about parity in the league, and we've heard um, Terundolo talk about that loss in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, rest in peace. And um, <laughs> the you know the fact that MLS still needs to catch up on on salaries and things like that, and and part of the reason they don't want to go too crazy with that is parity. That we want they want lots of competition within the league. It's more exciting to watch, and it is. Um, but, you know, I've got this feeling, this vibe that I've been getting for a few years now that the possession style is disappearing and that it only works in certain instances, instances where there isn't parity is in argue, in my opinion, when there isn't parity that you get one team that's, you know, head and shoulders above other teams, you can possess the ball and still beat people. But, you know, I, I looked at what Brazil did in this last World Cup. I know I'm going way out here, guys, but I'll bring it back in. I promise that you know, Brazil looked great in the group stage. You know, Vinicius Jr. had that uh, scissor kick or bicycle, whatever you want to call it. And they looked incredible in the group stage. But then they kind of went against these teams and they were refusing to counterattack. They had all kinds of instances and they chose to slow it down, possess the ball and do it the pretty way. Respect the hell out of that. It's a lot of fun to watch. But if you're out for blood, you counterattack. You don't like you take every opportunity you're given in modern soccer or in in this iteration of soccer that we're seeing in 2023, in my opinion. So, you know, the fact that like, yeah, Chris Klein lost his head because the team's been losing. And so I was curious to see if there would be a change in their style because that's a sporting director. A lot of that directive can come down from the sporting director. I don't think Greg Vanning's changing their style. It looks like they're going to stick with it. 
And I think it's a mistake. I don't think they're going to improve. And again, I think they play right into City's favor. We're willing to play as practical as as other teams will allow us, really. I mean, that's the perfect way to say it. So I don't know. Like, I'm going out on a, on a limb here. I'm getting pretty extreme. I try not to do that too much. But I don't know. What do you think about all that, Matt? I, I do think that uh, in, in leagues where there are more individually talented players, possession-based offenses can be more successful. Um, it's kind of easier, more or less, t- if you can find the right players to play in the style, um, to have success with a more pressing, because you can you can unravel and disrupt a lot more, and so you're forcing errors in a, in a different way than you are allowing the ball to be played to you. And if you have those players in one of the top five leagues, for instance, who have a lot more high level skill with the ball at their feet and they know how to make these connecting passes and they play really beautiful ball movements through the channels and through the, the wide wings, then that that's one thing. But it's kind of you don't you, you just need to find players who can buy into a system like St. Louis has and you can have success with possession or a, a pressing based offense and a pressing base style. Hmm. And and I think that it's going more to that because you're seeing the success and the fruits of those labors and and how that can be a disruptor to what's come before. Yeah. And I, I guess um, the final point to that might be too that all of that to say that I'm not sure you know, when Greg Vanny came over, we saw really practical uh, player acquisitions. You know, guys like Edwards came over from Toronto, um, a few other players that are just like MLS mainstays, I think I think to kind of solidify the team. And, and I think it did for a while. But it also is like the level of being able to possess and, and just out talent the other side, I think, is is missing with the exception of, of Puj and Maybe Chicharito, maybe not. You know, it's just a team that, that needs to figure all of that out and, and just raise their level to like something higher. And, and I'm not sure MLS parity allows it. Uh, that's another conversation, I think. But yeah, and I think the Galaxy. So I mentioned the the high individual talent kind of lends itself to that possession base. The Galaxy have that. Yeah. They have a lot of really talented individual players. You mentioned Ricky Pouge. Chicharito is among them. The midfield, I think, has to be addressed. But before I do that, I do want to say that the pressing style of the galaxy, that's one piece of them. There are other pieces that they're very weak against. And it's a lot of the intangibles, a lot of the, the, when a team doesn't have possession or the set pieces in, in, in particular, the galaxy are very weak against aerial duels. Mm. They're very weak against, uh, set pieces and counterattacks and stopping opponents from creating those chances. So when, especially the set pieces, I think is very, very important to pay attention to, the Galaxy have allowed the most goals off of set pieces in the entire league in seven. And especially in their last two MLS matches, RSL and Charlotte, they've allowed three set piece goals just recently in that. So be looking for Edu Leuven, be looking for Indiana Vasilev to try and find a lot of success. And I think that a couple of the keys to the game that I really want to make sure we get in before I look at the Galaxy midfield is that we have to be more physical than we were against FC Dallas. We have to be drawing fouls, which we did not do well against FC Dallas. If we can do that, create those set-piece opportunities with corners, with some of those dangerous free kicks that Leuven's had recently, then we're going to find success because the Galaxy are are very weak against those. And we can't allow the Galaxy to get those counterattacks going and work the ball in those very beautiful passes that they can. Their midfield can be very dangerous, and we have to prevent them from being able to spread the field both wide and through their midfield uh, up the middle. Edward Leuven and Jabulu Blom in particular 
have got to neutralize Ricky Puj. If if Blome can shut Puj down, we're going to find a lot more success than otherwise. I think that's going to be one of the very key 1v1 matches to watch. And it's not just Puj. It's it's Delgado and it's Brugman. It's it's their entire midfield. Mark Delgado and Gaston Brugman, along with Ricky Puj, to me, make up one of, if not the best midfield in the entire league. Hmm. St. Louis fans love to say what we have with Vasilev and Leuven and Blome is there. I think it could be there, and it's trending in the right direction. But I think Puj, Delgado, and Brugman are something to strive for. Puj, in particular, is 13th in the entire league in individual attacking contributions, meaning non-PK shots and open play chances created. And he leads their team in a lot of key categories, like key passes and tied for first and assists. Going with uh, Brugman, who just scored a PK, his first goal of the season against RSL, and Delgado there in the midfield, that's a dangerous combination that we have to really prevent against. And outside of that, you have Dejan Jovalic, who is a U22 player, their number number nine forward, who's going to step in for Chicharito. Stepped in earlier this season for Chicharito, tied for first in goals uh, with uh, Tyler Boyd, who's been a little depth piece they've had in forward which is just a more lends itself to the fact that they can pick up the pace uh, with Chicharito out if they need to. If they can find success in their attacking end that their midfield can facilitate for, that's where St. Louis can be hurt. The midfield itself, while individually talented, hasn't been able to create a whole lot of stuff lately. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see how they do as far as, like, you mentioned uh, – causing fouls to like break up play. I expect yeah. us to like absolutely treat them like we did sporting Kansas city, just like tried. They can try to build up, but will we give them more than three or four passes uh, due to fouls yep. or interceptions? That's good stuff. Anything else you'd like to say before we kind of give our, our previews of guesses, what will happen? I hope that Rasmus Alm is ready to start. I would love to see him slot back in. Uh, I think no matter what we do with our back line, if we can get Rasmus Alm back in the game, that opens up a whole lot of new opportunities because if you remember, I, I remember making a few comments before he went out for this most recent injury that he has the potential to be the best right mid in the entire league. Some mm. of his moves that he can make. We were talking about Joaquini and Vasilev playing well off of each other the past few games. Well, that was Joaquini and Alm. That was Klaus, Joaquini, and Alm before that. And what Alm can add to that right side, it cannot go overstated. Yeah, Alm to me is like all of our wingers combined into kind of some of their best qualities plus he has a few more you know just nuance kind of things and a little bit more physicality to him as well just this athleticism mixed mixed with his touch and his vision i just i absolutely love the guy one uh, thing too really real quick too. phil is douglas costa may return for this match to mls mm-hmm. play he had been missed time with an injury and he played 28 minutes in the u.s open cup match for the first time since april 29th and he scored a goal so he could, we could be seeing him in St. Louis as well to try and add to some of that depth they're missing with Chicharito. Well, Matt, what do you think your uh, predictions are going to be? Well, I think I think we're going to run Hebert back in at left back. I think from a lineup perspective, it's going to go back to what we saw against Houston and the the, the matches where we were winning. Jared Stroud's going to come back in. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be Alm for Pompeu, Alm for Stroud or Ostrock, but some combination of that with Leuvenblom, Vasilev, and Joachini. I think we take this one 3 nothing. I'm going to stay positive with that. I think a lot of fa- factors favor us. I think we at the home field advantage won't go unnoticed. The form that the Galaxy have been in all season, this is a match that we should expect to win if we play to ourselves. I want to see the exact same thing against Houston. They aren't a terribly different team than the Galaxy, so I just want to see more of the same. I'm going to go with like a 4-0 win on this one, guys. I think uh, Galaxy are going to go down pretty bad on this one, so hopefully I'm not too uh, cocky with that one. I don't usually do that. 
Hey, last time you did it was last week, and it worked out well for Houston. It did. You got the correct score, but you know, I was close. Closer than usual for me, so it worked out. All right, that's it from us, guys. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to uh, listen to the podcast, please do. We get another 30 minutes or so of uh, more laid-back conversation after this on our podcast version, so do tune in for that. If you'd like to leave us a review, we'd very much appreciate it. It helps us out. Otherwise, thanks for joining us on the Big 550 KTRS. We'll be talking to you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Go City. out everybody welcome we've heard the beer pop i always pour mine into a glass and i've got this i don't i forgot what the place is called that i bought this but i love this cup oh that's looks like an ab looking cup oh is that a series six one yeah series six thank you nice yeah that's a good one yeah um but i think we'll kick in matt um usually we leave with questions but i think something special happened this week do you know can you think of anything (laughs) it's been a big week for soccer in uh what's that country we live in the united states of america Uh, yeah big Um, big big week for the first uh first tier league in america getting the i would say consensus one of the best players currently in the entire world to come play for a team in our league. I'll go they as far as to say the best player ever. I'm, I'm convinced oh, of this now. I'm I'm fully on board best player ever. Lionel Messi <laughs> is uh, unofficially now a member of Inter-Miami. Uh, I, I, there's no way that anybody listening to this hasn't heard that yet. Mm-hmm. But nothing's been finalized, but Messi has said, I'm going to Miami. And MLS has said, we appreciate that he has announced this, and we are also working towards this goal. <laughs> there were there were deleted tweets. There was a really? communication put out. Yeah, because they their first thing that they posted was, um, uh, welcome to MLS Messi or something like that. Mm. And they had to dial it down a little bit because the name on the contract yeah. hadn't been signed yet. Which is, I mean, the whole all it all seemed to happen so quick. Like, there had been this huge buildup for, like, a slow burn for months of rumors. And it's been nonstop since... Uh, really, you, you heard he was leaving PSG, and it was, it was, is he going back to Barca? Is he going to Saudi Arabia? The latest I heard is that Saudi Arabia had offered him over a billion dollars over two years to play wow. there and go join one of their teams to play against Ronaldo and Kareem Benzema now, who's going to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those, like, China had done in the... Uh, in the not too distant past, there's throwing money at players trying to build up their their sports or sports washing initiative that they have going on. Mm-hmm. Messi, to his credit, for I mean, it, I'm not putting altruistic methods in in this at all, but to his credit, he said no to that, and he chose the package that's being reported by MLS, which is a percentage of Adidas merchandise sales, a percentage of the MLS season pass revenue from Apple. And just like David Beckham had a discount on a future expansion team or, or a guaranteed buy-in to a future expansion team. And that's, that's what the athletics reporting. So that's what I'm going off of in yeah. what we know is occurring. I've also heard that teams are kicking in something throughout the league for Messi, but I, I don't know what that would be, whether it's monetary for his actual salary um, or otherwise, I, 
I have a hard time believing that to an extent. To me, this is more of maybe they're sacrificing a small fraction of their revenue or something. I don't know if it's straight up the tailors and other owners are paying money out of their pockets to bring Messi in. If, if that ends up being the case, though, to put it on the record, I'm not entirely opposed to it mm-hmm. because of what that would mean for this league and the growth of soccer in America. I, I just to have a player, the, the greatest player of all time, who is still in borderline his prime. He's one of the one of only I think either the only or one of only two players in a top five league this last year with 20 goals and 20 assists. He just won the World Cup, just led his team to the World Cup, and he's going to be a Ballon d'Or finalist or at least a contender this year. <laughs> so you might you might have this fall an active player in MLS be nominated or in consideration for a Ballon d'Or. How crazy is that? I'm a fan of it. There's just so much crazy going around right now because I, I think uh, it all feels a little bit unreal still. I mean, it's not official, but still, like, you know, I think we're all a little bit in shock. And I thought um, I just want to plug um, Joe Lowry at Backhield did this. They only do these 10-minute episodes. I hope you guys all listen to their podcast. It's really amazing. And some awesome guys are writing for them right now as well. Some of the best on the Internet has to offer for soccer coverage um, that we're still independent, at least. Um, you got to check them out. But he did this like it felt like a monologue the way it was written. It was well said. And I think um, my favorite thing is like, yeah, like this is all worthwhile. It's funny because it's like a single entity MLS and they uh, yeah, there's we should all put money in to help this happen. But it's not just that like. Apple has joined in, Adidas has joined in, and, you know, of course, everyone um, has to throw in the fact that the World Cup is going to be here in a few years, and just like all of these things, it just makes sense for us all to share whatever we have to make this as big as possible, and the best thing that Joe said, he put it so much better than me, I'm going to ruin it, but like, do go listen to it, is that MLS has to cash in on this, they have to go all the way like i'm gonna say like balls to the wall on this like take every penny you can get and maximize especially your um you know your world uh the way the world views you as a soccering nation and use it also to raise your level of play in mls and take advantage like if people are willing to up their money to get messy here well we better up our money to get better players for him to play against because we're gonna have eyes on this league and we need to look good. We don't. Yeah. We need to not have like just bad touches all over the field. That's what everyone thinks of Americans anyway. We need to see players coming here for big money. We need to see players moving on for even bigger money. And we need to see players doing well here and then moving on and being good in the World Cup. And that's something that MLS needs to focus on. With Messi here, it is their chance to really raise the level and become something real in this world like some people are predicting and a lot of people are predicting will not happen. So um, that was, Joe said it much better, listen to his, but I loved that that whole uh, line of thinking he had. Yeah, and it, it's such a unique opportunity for it's not like make or break from MLS, but it's such a unique opportunity to prove themselves on a global level that they've never had the opportunity before. Because this at the reason Apple is kicking in on this isn't just to help MLS. It's not just for the MLS season pass. It's for Apple's overall ecosystem and Apple TV. The fact that Apple TV and MLS season pass is is what you can tune in to see Messi Mm. anywhere in the world. I don't care what country you live in. Like, let's go back to MLS season pass when it started. And it was a footnote at the time because in America, it wasn't the focus. It was more of like, 
oh, if you're a if you're a player who comes from uh, comes from Africa, your family can watch you on Apple. If you come from uh, Germany or Switzerland, your family can watch you on Apple. This this flips that script so massively in that if you're anywhere in the world and you want to watch Messi, <laughs> Apple is your answer. Like I at times couldn't remember if I wanted to watch Ligoon, who what I was supposed to do to watch that league. Like be in sports recently was it ESPN Plus at one point was, but it, those kinds of things change. And for the next ten years or the 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 length that Messi is going to be in MLS from I think that's safe to say hmm. Apple is where you can find Messi. So that that is why Apple kicked in, and it makes sense from their perspective. And one thing to keep in mind because I've seen a couple comments of like, this seems like such a shady deal. Everybody's pitching in, and like how hmm. this seems this seems absurd. It's not, it's just an evolution to me because we're talking about the best footballer to play ever and, and consensus top five, no matter how you cut it. And none of the components of that deal in and of themselves are really new or groundbreaking. The expansion team for MLS that was done with Beckham. He's coming to be a designated player for Miami. So the roster being broken I mean, they, we could talk about the opportunity this has to expand them, whether it's more DP slots or freeing up uh, the, the ability to spend. But just in and of itself, bringing Messi is playing by the rules that David Beckham created. The Adidas thing to me, Phil, honestly, the Adidas thing is exactly what Michael Jordan had with Nike <laughs> in, in the revenue sharing off of Air Jordans and the, the, the Jumpman brand. He's still receiving hundreds of millions every year off of that deal. So that piece of the deal has been done by an athlete pulling them together adding in the tv revenue sharing yeah that part's i think that part's pretty new but you're getting you're getting kind of pieces of what's come before that's laid the groundwork for making this possible and putting this package together to bring in the best the best footballer in the world it's just capitalism and, and you know like as much as we hate mls and in certain aspects of it like MLS was risen to a level where Messi said, no, I'm willing to come here. He's, he wasn't like, no way I'm going to the United States and playing in that trash league. It's good enough that Messi's willing to play here. The infrastructure and the training grounds and the stadiums are a place that he's willing to come. And that's that's pretty huge. It's still not there. But like, man, but that can't go under, that can't go overstated either. The, the infrastructure yeah. that exists to allow him to come and feel comfortable playing here. Yeah. And, and like uh, to skip ahead, just like it's capitalism, like MLS rose to the level where he was willing to come here. And so that was part of their pitch. We almost got Ronaldo here. There's a, a world. There's, you know, this world somewhere in the universe, in the multiverse, where Ronaldo and Messi are playing in the same league, and one of them's at Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> and, and that could have happened. Quick to join them later in the year. You know that um, MLS pitched that to Apple when they were asking for all that money that they got. And Apple, in their consideration, was probably like, how much are we willing to um, bet that Ronaldo and Messi or one or the other come? Well, also the World Cup's coming, so maybe we just do this. And then not only that, that massively paid off. So, like, they're yeah. super happy right now. What a great gamble for them. And then on top of that, they were willing to give more uh, just to have Messi there. So they're going to make money on this. Adidas is going to come out ahead on this. You know what I mean? MLS is really banking because I think their next um, ask is going to be even more. So, you know, everyone's winning here. Messi has really, I think, already risen the league. But again... They gotta they gotta capitalize on it and keep growing more. They gotta double down, triple down on it. 
So the thing is, Messi's coming to MLS. He's coming to play for Inter Miami. When is he coming yes. and when will he debut? So Inter Miami has away games. Well, first of all, the transfer window opens on July 5th. So July 5th is officially the first day he could join Inter Miami. And Inter Miami has away games on July 8th and July 15th. That one in at City Park in St. Louis before they play at home on July 21st and 25th in League's Cup. As much as I would love to ride the hype train and look at the ticket prices and say that they're all justified <laughs> for what people are willing to sell and buy on for the City Park match in St. Louis on July 15th, I don't see any other option than Messi debuting for Inter Miami on July 21st against, I believe it's Cruz Azul. Mm -hmm. That seems to be what everyone's saying. Um, do you think that's because he can't get the paperwork through in time, or do you think it's just kind of the choice of that weekend choice. being perfect? Yeah, it feels it, like it, that to me. So you got to open it home, right? At the very least. That's that's a yeah. You have yeah. to open it home, and you're looking at this from an MLS and an Apple perspective because you know Apple is they don't have a say, but they're like, hey, let's let's look at it from this perspective, and the perspective isn't messy to play in MLS. We need Messi to play in America for an American team on Apple TV. And that can all be accomplished through that first League's Cup match. Mm -hmm. And it helps to market the League's Cup in a way that I don't think anybody ever thought possible mm -hmm. because there, there is a, there's a conversation about an MLS regular season match, but this cup, this tournament has been built up so highly by MLS and Liga Mekis that to have the first match for Inter-Miami debut Messi you're going to have so many eyes, so many new subscriptions, and you're going to be able to tout it as Messi in League's Cup. That's such a big win for everyone involved. Yeah, and it's cool. You know, it feels like a world – it is. It's a world soccer move when you're talking about Messi. And so it's cool that it's an international competition that he's coming to join in. And the fact that you know, he comes from a Latino country and that, you know, it's the United States playing – against a Latino side from Mexico. So I love that. I think it's great. It all makes sense. It's all perfect. And, you know, the money grab for League's, League's Cup is there as well for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunate that I don't think we're going to get to see him in St. Louis, I would say. Yeah. If it works out, it didn't. I'll gladly accept being wrong on that one. I just don't think the stars are going to align to mm. see him in St. Louis, which means we're going to have to rely on some other method to play, whether it's uh, finals or some kind of later on round in League's Cup or MLS Cup itself, mm -hmm. or if we get lucky in the scheduling gods allow Inter-Miami to come to St. Louis again next year, which is a, it's not a zero chance, but you know, it's very low. So, you know, I, I, I wish it would have worked out a little bit better and we would have had a match against Inter-Miami later on in the year at this point. Well, one thing people have said um, that I think this is a good shout and it sounds like something to me that uh, Stuart might say, the fact that I bet you every away game that Miami has is going to be on grass rather than turf if it's in the Western Conference. And so I think we've got that going for us because they want Messi to play every game he can. I don't think he's going to play on turf. So like Charlotte, yeah. Seattle, like I don't think Seattle's getting away in an away game. No, you know what would be absolutely hilarious if uh, we've talked at nauseum in the past about Charlotte and David Tepper's removal of their grass field that the Panthers had played on to put artificial turf because it's cheaper for both teams to play on. <laughs> if it takes reinstalling temporary grass for Messi to play on, you know, he's going to do it. And that would be absolutely hilarious to see. It would. 
because they're they're not going to not have a chance that Messi doesn't play for grass field. And and I do think that it w- if if he he wouldn't why would he want to play on turf? He doesn't need he doesn't need that. He's going to be right. 36 by the time he debuts. He's still he's still in his prime in the a form of his prime, I would say. But in very high level, but at the same time, like you want to prolong that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to take that kind of risk. I agree. Um, I've said my piece about Messi probably doubled my, as I usually do, I'll say my same point twice in a way, but um, let's move on. That's really exciting. I think we're all very happy that it's going to happen. Oh, I guess the other thing is we'd hope to get an away game, but if that doesn't happen, the last thing I wanted to say is that more than, isn't it San Diego coming in in 2025? Yes. So we're probably moving to the East at that point and then we will see him, right? No, I wish that that's a prevailing thought, but the you don't think so. Fact, the unfortunate fact is there are currently 15 teams in the East and only 14 in the West. Oh, San Diego will make an even 15 in both leagues. That's so my it would fault. Take, no, it you're basically speaking for half the fan base. <laughs> I've, I've seen that comment so many times. Okay, and it will take further expansion in the West for us to be pushed to. The so when Vegas comes in or Phoenix comes in. Vegas, Phoenix, a new Sacramento revival, any of the above, any and all of the above. Messi can't hold on that long ago. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sad now, but sorry. We'll move on to questions. They always they always uh, perk me up. Um, it's my favorite part of the show. Joe flies X wings is back this week with another doozy. What is the d- duration for Klein's short term loan to City? He and Glover have done well with City too, and with Klaus's setback, it might be a nice to get them some more first team minutes in a match. Uh, basically a long weekend it's a four-day loan and he's allowed about four of them per year so what he had has long expired mm-hmm. but he can be he can be called up again on a short-term loan a few more times this year as we need him to or if we made space a long-term loan well if we yeah um long-term loan could because we do have an open roster we have a couple open roster slots that's a possibility but if we're talking just these short terms, then it's a four-day short-term loan, and we have three more of them, I believe, at our disposal. Um, I wasn't prepared. Oh, Sorry. Go ahead. Caden K- 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 Glover, too. He's He is rostered from City, so he's he has no restrictions. Just wanted to add that in. Yeah, they both got a goal in that last game, right? Glover yeah. and Klein. And to me, like Glover was there for a rebound. That's great. I'm happy for him, and I hope there's a lot more Watch of that it. to come. I don't think he's like next level yet, uh, but I think Klein might be itching. And I said this about O'Malley, so I may not be right, the right guy to ask. But Klein, to me, looks the part. He looks like a St. Louis City-style player, especially a City-style winger. He reminds me of Ostrak personally, um, but I bet other people have other opinions. Um, but he's scoring goals, and I think he's looking like the best player on the team right now. He's just always there to put it away, and he's putting it away, which is more than perhaps you can say about the first-teamers right now. Yeah, and, and when you're having that kind of success consistently for City 2, that's what they look for. That's what Bobby Murphy, that's what Bradley Carnell, Lutz, they, they look for that consistent success to the point where you're showing yourself separated from all the other players. And Klein seems to be doing that on a pretty regular basis, and that's what's going to get you these looks and these call-ups. And hopefully a future signing to City is showing that you've graduated from this level and you belong at, at the next level. You you should be playing against a higher level of competition. Yep. 
Um, we got a lot of comments. That's actually all the questions we have for this week. But unless I'm missing them, Matt, if you want to take a look. But um, a lot of talk about Bloom and how this call up to South Africa is going to play into our schedule. A lot of people are asking, will he only miss like one or two games? Um, have you figured that out? Because I know they, Carnell said he's going to play on Sunday for sure before he goes to, is it the League of Nations? cup in uh, africa Af- afcon i believe yeah. oh it's afcon okay yeah yes yeah, so blome right now carnell has said explicitly he will play against the la galaxy and he will travel out right after so the south african national team's camp actually starts on sunday and so i guess there's been an arrangement where he can arrive just after camp or or on the back side of that day i don't know how the hours will work out it's a long flight i know that but he'll leave right after the game. He'll go down there. Uh, they play Morocco on the 17th, which is the same day, unfortunately, that we play Nashville. So he will miss the Nashville game. Yeah. But that should be the extent that he misses. I, I don't believe, uh, because it's only one game that this this window is for, that there's anything that will prevent him from coming back for the RSL match on June 21st mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Now, the question will be, form and fitness right so yeah. he he will be gone for at least a week probably a week i think they'll release him after after saturday's match so he'll be gone a week that's a week of training with a different team a different a different head coach different style uh what what my understanding is that they'll do based on previous call-ups is they'll evaluate him once he returns they'll see what kind of load he's been doing how his body's responding at the time and that'll dictate what he'll be able to do on the 21st against RSL. So there's no way to know right now, will he be ready? Will he be fit? I think the answer is he'll be back after the Nashville game because mm-hmm. they play Morocco the same day. He'll have to be evaluated to see how many minutes he can go. If he's just continuing business as usual, he ha- he's meeting every milestone, he's passing every fitness test, and he can still resume his 90 minutes or if he needs uh, a little bit of a back down and a regen going into that match. Yeah, with with Blom and Klaus, I think we're just hoping for health at this point. They don't even have to be like in every single game. Just like, please be available when we need you. So as much as we talked, we touched on it earlier that it's really unfortunate that going against one of, if not the best player in MLS right now in Hani Mukhtar yeah. in Nashville at Geodas Park, we're not going to have blown. That's a huge blow. I and I, that's probably going to be our most pessimistic show. <laughs> uh, just a quick tease on what mm. that might look like as we preview that one next week. But it can't go unnoticed that he we get we get him for the LA Galaxy match. So I mentioned earlier, seeing Ricky Pooj go against Jabulu Blom, that's going to be an exciting 1v1. Like, of, of all of the individual midfield matchups we've had so far this year, yeah. Lu- Leuven and or Blom against or both against Ricky Pooj, that's something that I'm going to be incredibly excited to look for. Yeah, and, I mean, we can kind of pivot to talk more about FC Dallas or anything else you want, Matt, but, I, you know, I loved... I thought, as Bradley Carnell said, uh, that Miggy looked really good in that game. I think he had an especially good game. He, the ball fell to his feet more often, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I think he had one heavy touch, um, but he yeah. wasn't the only one in that game, right, to do that. Everybody. <laughs> I think it, I think more people had a bad one bad touch or one heavy touch than than didn't. Yeah. And that that's I know you're not talking about Nico, but that to me is why I try to cut him a little slack. His just ended up being the one taken advantage of. But Miggy. Yeah, totally. Miggy, I think, held his own 
and you can say that Blome could have prevented uh, the first goal mm. in that same sequence after the turnover and the quick buildup to Ferreira, and that amazing through ball. But I think that's a, that's a lot of assuming going on there that Blome would have been in the exact right position to intercept or clear the ball because that buildup was so fast. Um, I Just don't discount the work that Miggy did. Nothing he did was detrimental to anything that we did on the field. Right. And I thought he was good defensively better than even a, the last couple games. And I think yeah. since the ball fell to him, one thing about Miggy and Carnell said this once in the past that he, I think he's like, he said that he plays like a 38 year old or something with the ball. He's just responsible with the ball, I guess is what he was getting at. I don't remember yeah. his exact quote, but uh, Miggy's good with the ball. I don't think he's like insane with his passing, but he doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. And there's a lot to be said for a young guy. If that's his floor, I'm so excited to see like how he develops in the next two to five years or whatever. Yeah, and he was on that preview that we saw of speculation for the next U20 World Cup cycle, mm -hmm. right, as a defensive midfielder. So his name's already getting thrown out there in some circles of if he keeps on this trajectory where he could be going from a, a national team perspective as well. Yeah, and that's got to be his goal is to not just be on the list but be the top of the list, right? Like yeah. the number six, eight that we can rely on. And, and we saw in this last U, uh, U20 World Cup, you know, I convince Miguel or com compare Miguel to um, Obed Vargas all the time. Oh, but yeah. Daniel Edelman really plays more like he does. Um, they both kind of do. But, but still, those two were A and B the whole time. 1A, 1B. I don't know if um, the coach... Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but I don't think the coach felt like one was a lot better than the other, and they were just rotating the heck out of both of them. They both looked good in this tournament. Neither looked bad in anything. Um, so anyway, Miguel needs to cement himself into that kind of a role and be like the written-in-pen starter for the U20 World Cup in the next phase. I'm really excited for it because I think he can do that. I really do. Yep, totally agree. Anything else about Dallas? Any open any thoughts on what you'd like to talk about at all? Nothing from Dallas, but I want to uh, circle back to the midfield of the Galaxy mm -hmm. because I, I've got some stats that kind of paint the picture of why I said that they were one of the best midfields in the league. And part of it is just the fact of, of their importance to the overall, um, the overall style and the overall way that the Galaxy play because they, in some of the comparisons, had some numbers to our team in, so you can kind of get a picture for how to compare these guys. So looking at uh, Ricky Puj, looking at Mark Delgado and Gascon Brugman. So Puj, uh, Delgado have 25 and 24 key passes. Brugman has 17. Compare that to St. Louis. So 25, 24, and 17 through their midfield. Edward Leuven has 20 key passes. Next highest on our team is Nico Joachini with 17 and Indiana Vasilev with 14. Hmm. So playing to the number of passes that they actually make and the fact that their midfield leads their entire team in those key passes. Looking at accurate long balls, Brugman and Puj have 82 and 79. On St. Louis, Roman Berkey leads our team with 105 long, accurate long passes. But the next is Edward Leuven at 57. That's a massive drop. And then the next highest after that is in the 30s, whereas Brugman and Puj have 82 and 79 accurate long balls. So it's not just these short movements that they have in their midfield and hmm. working the ball up but they're willing to find open players on the wings. And that's where they can be most dangerous. I mentioned spreading the field. That's how they can do it with these accurate long balls that they play out to, to the wings and especially to the forwards if they play a 4-3-3. Three, three. 
I think the last uh, last few games without Chicharito, they'd actually gone with a 4-1-4-1 formation, uh, looking at having Jovalich as their their single forward and having a lot of midfielders there with, I believe it was Brugman as their number six. So it'll be interesting to see how they actually line up and spread the field, but they do like to get wide. And then just sheer volume. Brugman and Puj have over 900 completed passes each. The next two players in the Galaxy have 700 in the 700s, and then everybody else kind of cascades from there. So two 900s from Brugman and Puj. Edu Leuven leads St. Louis by far with 505 completed passes. We just, the, the dichotomy, I can't stress this enough, the dichotomy and how much LA likes to possess the ball and pass the ball around compared to what St. Louis does is one of the starkest contrasts you're going to see this entire season. Hmm. And and how that how that actually works in each final third is where this battle is going to be won and lost. There's going to be a lot of midfields that I think we see similarities to what St. Louis has done in the past in successful games, but also from a Galaxy perspective, you're going to see a willingness of St. Louis to let them work the ball through and pick their pick their points of attack and I just think at the at the end of the first half, it wouldn't surprise me to see a 60-40 possession split going on here. Absolutely, and I think St. Louis would be extremely happy if that was the case for that. Um, you mentioned the long balls, and I think, you know, I mentioned how Puj has such amazing stats, um, but that the team is still not, you know, taking advantage of, of his talent. And I think that's a lot of his long balls probably aren't paying off when they're going to the wings because they got Boyd, Memo Rodriguez, and this guy Vivi. I'm not seeing a lot of action from Vivi even, but um, just the fact that, like, I know Tyler Boyd is, like, their top scorer, but the man has been extremely disappointing. And I think when you listen to Extra Time, you hear that that's one of their main problems is, like, having a dynamic winger who can score at any given moment that's something that i think they're missing um and so i mean again maybe we let them shoot the ball wide even if it's on a counter attack because it does seem wasteful uh you know you don't want to just you know what i'm saying that i'll leave it there <laughs> yeah and and our fullbacks are going to be important here too because when they work the ball wide whether it's memo rodriguez or whether it's one of their midfielders working out wide or they have Ephraim Alvarez out there, you know, they, they do spread the field to a point where I think defensive minded fullbacks are going to be a little more important than having a Johnny Nelson mm. type move forward. In my opinion is I would like to see, I would like to see Kyle Hebert in there where he can drop back a little further and prevent if it, so when they have some of these runs and they had them against RSL recently where they would play the ball, not quickly necessarily, but they would just create space to the point where if you remember the second FC Dallas goal, it was like that to to a T and magnified a little more, creating that space out wide. And I just think if we had a little more width to our backline defense, that would serve us well. Again, I love what happened against Houston. And so I, I want to see that again. I want to see Hebert act more as like a stay home left back or, you know, a three center back in possession. So um, I think that was good for counterattacks on top of that. And so I think they can handle that back line. And with um, that's the big question for me is like, I love that the thought of Blom covering Pooj, that was a lot of fun to kind of imagine even before it's happened. Uh, but like, wh again, what are we going to do about Mukhtar? And I think a three back line, like, are we going to just put Perez on Mukhtar? I think that's a, a terrible idea as, as much as I love 
Perez, like, and I think he could handle it. I don't know if that's like the plan, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I really think this three center back back line is going to be something we need to use for the next two weeks. Yeah. It, it's not just a preview of what might happen if Joachim Nilsson comes back and we need to keep Hebert and no. Parker in. It's not just that anymore. No, it's just working, right? It's I, just working. Yeah. Bartlett, Bartlett has has shown himself to be such a capable center back with his clearances and his positioning and his ability to disrupt very much like Tim Parker does. And yeah. and that that's given us so much stability and flexibility in what we can do with a guy like Kyle Hebert on the left side out there and allow Jake Nerwinski to push forward a little more. So I I, I I'm nervous to even consider Hani Mukhtar and what he might be able to <laughs> to do against our, our midfield and centrally. But I think the the upfront talent right now for the Galaxy match lines up pretty well for what St. Louis can have with that three center back or Hebert at a left back, however you look at it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about that is that, you know, I've been making those, um, those all touch videos of Miguel. And one thing I noticed was like, Miguel doesn't take long ball battles, duels. He doesn't for the most part, if the mm-hmm. back line or the goalkeeper sending it forward, it's always a center back stepping forward um, to, take on that duel it's usually parker sometimes bartlett or hebert will do it as well in fact hebert did it that one time that led to a goal i think three games ago but anyway um those three especially those three if they're back there they're all willing to step forward and battle someone very high up the field while other guys cover and i think you know having those three back there to be able to do that to step and then cover for each other i think they're getting more and more used to each other and i love that and i think that's the best way to go forward just to kind of cement my idea there the other thing that i think should be cemented and we kind of touched on it earlier is vasilev and joakini up top you know with vasilev playing that 10 i think it's working and i think we stick with it as much as possible until it stops working or klaus is back you know that's another, that's another reason that I just want to see the ball played centrally a little bit more often. Okay. And, and looking at the passing network compared to for what happened in Dallas, which was very much a continuation of that first uh, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back to the first 50 minutes of Dallas, the way we ended that game this week was essentially picking up where we left off in what we were trying to do with the ball and the positioning of a lot of our players, especially Johnny Nelson, who tried to make as many chances as he did and it didn't work. What I want to see is more of that playing the ball centrally, having you have Hebert drop back, you have Nerwinski push a little higher. It opens up space on the left-hand side for Salio to kind of drift out and, and use himself in a lot of open areas where Johnny Nelson might find space normally. But then centrally, you have Jabulu Blom who just stays so tight to the center backs and stays so tight to the entire back line right in front of them. He's, he's a, a prototypical cleaner in that role and the way that he can just cover so much ground and so much space gives us the flexibility to have Leuven move up a little more and help track back when he needs to. Mm-hmm. Leuven's average position is so central when you have these pieces in play and it gives Joe Keeney, it gives Vasilev time to play off of each other in that, uh, in that attacking role. And that's worked so well. Like those two have led the team in key passes, have led the team in shot creating actions because of what they can do when the ball is played up to them. Nico's back heel has worked so mm-hmm. well to Indy so many times. And to defend him again on that one goal, the giveaway in midfield, like 
he was trying something. He was trying to almost do a no-look pass to someone. It felt like to me, just like he does a million times a day. Usually it's in the box, right? So it's a little less uh, scary. But it's it's a good thing that he's trying those kinds of things because normally it, it's it's paying more dividends than you know the goal that he let you know helped let up against well, Dallas. That's a- that's a really good point. And I mean, that may think about it from that perspective where Nico Giochini, how many times has he received a ball near the 18 yard box of, of where we're attacking? And he's done that same kind of attempt and it's gone to yeah. a, an underlapping Indy Vaslev or an underlapping Tomas Ostrak. But in this regard, he was doing it at midfield where his option, the closest player to him was Edu Leuven. And that it, it wasn't in the, the way he positioned the ball wasn't, he was behind Leuven, more or less. He wasn't giving him an option to do much with it, but just the space he received the ball in seemed so foreign to where he was used to and successful in receiving the ball and, and delivering it to others in previous games. And it's like, I think he's, again, he's just always used to having someone near him and maybe he just forgot where he was on the field or he's just used to someone running on. Like, it just looked to me like not a mistake. It looked like he expected someone to be running into that space and they weren't there. Whether that's his fault or not, who's to say? Maybe it was still like an idiot move, but, you know, it just felt like in that game we were, again, not to repeat myself, I'm sorry, but just it was a different formation and just people were expecting, they were playing balls to ghosts in a lot of situations in that game. So it is what it is. Um, I really, it didn't, I did not lose sleep over that game, um, whereas I've lost sleep over other losses this year. Yeah, going into it, I was of the opinion that it's still like, Reset expectations here. You yeah. know, I know we've been in good form, but it's an unusual midweek match. 40 minutes. An away game in general is difficult. The 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 circumstances are difficult. It would have been great to come away with a point. And I think I think we deserved a point based off how we played the first 30 minutes hmm. of the restart. But it was unfortunate and the that the two goals happened in just the last 10 minutes of the game. We just kind of we lost focus a little too much. But like uh, like we talked about at the very beginning of this preview of LA Galaxy, we're still in first place. We still have, <laughs> we still have games in hand on Seattle. We're looking good on points. And the one thing that I'll, um, I, I remembered this earlier, and I want to make sure I say this. So putting into context, uh, home and away matches. We've talked about how important it is to how home are just so important, and playing on the road in MLS is so difficult. If you look at every single team in um, in both conferences, the top teams especially, and so there there are some outliers like Orlando away is a big outlier, um, but but I think that's about it. Other than that, if you can be a team who wins two thirds of your game at home, and basically breaks even on the road, you're going to be top of your conference. You're going to be a top tier team in MLS. And I'm looking at teams like Cincinnati, Nashville. Philadelphia. Cincinnati is kind of like the exception to every rule right now because they're nine and zero at home and three and one, three one and three on the road. Shout out to St. Louis for that one loss. But other teams like Nashville and Philadelphia, six one and two at home with one loss on the road. Nashville's three two and two, and Philadelphia's three three and one. New England's right behind them, four zero and three at home, three three and three on the road. Like teams, it's difficult to win on the road. And teams who break even on the road but are highly successful at home, they, they find consistent success in MLS. And St. Louis, let's look at the West. St. Louis is 6-2 and two at home, 3-3-1 three, three, and one on the road. 
That's that's the prototypical way that you can be at the top of the table is by doing what you need to do, doing your business at home, and then finding ways to find wins on the road here and there. Not consistent wins, just here and there. Seattle is the exact same way, right behind us. Five three and two at home, three three and one on the road. LAFC five zero oh, and two at home, two one and three on the road. Like it's not this. What's happening for St. Louis isn't unusual in any aspect. We are doing exactly what these other top tier teams in MLS this year and in years past have done. So keep that context in mind when you're looking at where you're voicing your biggest frustration and concern about this, the long-term viability of this team. I'm with you, man. I, I'm agreeing with everything you just said. I've for a few games now, now that we've kind of fit, proven that we can win without Klaus, that was been, that's been my biggest worry lately. Like I think playoffs are in hand. It's ours to lose at this point with the exception of one thing. And I'm going to quote Ostrak. Uh, Timmerman wrote an awesome article on this because I love these like world cultural things that uh, you don't know. Uh, I'm going to say what he said, which is he's talking about Leuven. He's been amazing this year. I hope he never gets injured. <laughs> and then he taps his teeth. That was like so interesting. I love it. Um, it's like their knock on wood because uh, wood can burn, but teeth don't burn they're still there when the body is burned yeah it's interesting so um i thought that was a really cool cultural um turn that we got to learn through soccer um in this last week and so yeah i think if we got leuven i think we'll be fine i think the leuven going down is like the only thing that could really maybe hurt us this year and even then man i still think we might be fine i so i would have said the same thing about klaus after after Mm. the first like five six games and then Klaus goes down. And yeah, it was rough there for a few games. We didn't really have an identity in our attack, but we figured it out. Yep. And it didn't take that many games in the context of the season to figure it out, right? So we had that that poor run of form of like one month where we had one win, one draw, and I think two or three losses, something like that. That And we figured it out after Klaus. I think we would do the same thing without Edu Leuven, without any one individual player. We would just mm-hmm. need players to step up. Thankfully, with Klaus, it was Indiana Vasilev who stepped up with Nico Joachini. With Leuven, it very well could be uh, Miggy Perez needing to step up a little bit more and more consistently. But I think, I think we would struggle, obviously, because oh, Leuven yeah. is a Leuven is a preeminent all-star in this mm-hmm. league. I think if if there's any two or three players who we should expect to see on the all-star team, it's Berkey, Leuven, and maybe Tim Parker. Mm-hmm. To me. Berkey would be the biggest loss of the team. Like if Berkey went down with an injury, I'm not knock on my teeth here right? <laughs> because that, that to me is it. We'd figure out position players. Like we've shown we can do with clubs. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, and I think that's well said. And I, I like, I love the questions we've been getting throughout the season. Like who would you um, sign now based on our roster? What is our biggest need? And it's, it's gone to like right back and it's gone to striker. Cause Klaus is out. And if Leuven was out, we'd all be being, saying, like, why didn't we sign a backup deep-lying playmaker? You know that's the truth. So, yes. um, And say, maybe same for Berkey. Like, why didn't we sign a high-level uh, backup who, you know, I would never say that. I'm really happy with our, with our roster in that regard. But anyway, it's fun to watch uh, throughout the season based on what happens to our team, what we yeah. feel like we were weak at. Every team has that to some extent. So. Well, and the, evo- the evolution of our team has been exciting to see, too, because we've seen depth in action, not just from subs that have been able to come in and change games like AZL Jackson and Tomas Ostrock in moments, mm-hmm. but consistent, necessary shifts in where players are playing, like Indiana Vasilev 
and Edu Leuven moving across the field in different areas. Like that's been exciting to see. And so knowing these players are on long-term contracts, like that that gives a lot of excitement into the versatility that a, another signing could give. So like, let's just throw, let's just say we signed Bobby Firmino mm -hmm. and what that can give to our attack where Nico Joachini might drop back. He might drop to the bench for a time. He might see action in League's Cup or something like that. But what that can do to that cascade to an Indy Vasilev, you're not going to take off the field. You're just going to find a different spot for him that he's shown he can play in. Yep. So a lot of different pieces that we say we're, we're lacking depth at striker or lacking depth at right back. But Jabulu Blom has shown he could play right back. Like there's these kind of quirks that have been successful here and there. Mm -hmm. It's wild to consider the versatility that this expansion side, St. Louis City, has been able to have early in the season. Absolutely. And Bradley Carnell's uh, willingness to uh, be flexible and the fact that many of our players are also positionally flexible. It's been awesome yeah. and fun to watch and it's not over, right? A long way to go. So uh, Matt and I, we've, we've gone long here. It's been really fun to kind of go crazy with some of our theories, conspiracy or not. And uh, we got to cut it off here, though. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we'll have another show for you on Monday. Flyover Fallout. We'll be going over the game, hopefully the win against LA Galaxy. Uh, thanks for listening. That's it from us this week. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you soon.